Cape Talk. The Book Review. At 23 minutes past four o'clock, I'm a great fan of the thrillers of Pierre Lemaitre featuring the four foot ten inch tall and troubled but excellent detective Camille Verhoeven, who heads a murder squad in Paris. And um, I picked up the great swindle thinking, oh, he has another Camille Verhoeven, but it's not. And it's not really a thriller. Um, but it's still, it's wonderful. He won the um, Prix de Concours, which is France's top literary prize for this book, which has been translated in English as The Great Swindle. And the book starts in the closing days of the First World War. Um, the French soldiers are sort of waiting for the war to end. They know it's coming. But there is a particularly nasty, ambitious, ego-driven officer who wants one last push in order to perhaps get himself promoted before he goes back into civil life. So he sends two soldiers out into the battlefield to go and do a recce. And then he shoots them in the back and pretends that it's the Germans that shot them and uses that as an excuse to get his company to attack the Germans, which they do. And during this, two soldiers get injured, Edouard Pericourt and Albert, um, I can't remember Albert's surname. And they discover what happened. And then the war ends and they get into business together. And the officer who shot the two who precipitated the war gets into business for himself. He's Henri Dolnay Pradel, trades on his heroic war record and aristocratic good looks to become a remembrance profiteer. There was this huge... And, and, and there was a genuine scandal about this. this. This part of it is based on truth, that there were all these bodies which had been buried on the battlefields, and they had to be unburied and given back to their families so they could be properly buried where they were identified. And there was an enormous scandal about you know, bodies just being shoved into coffins willy-nilly and no proper identification procedures. And that is used as the basis for what Henri de Olnay Pradel does. And the other two, uh, Porico is now what they call a Jules Casset, a smashed face. He doesn't have a, a lower jaw. He smokes cigarette through his nostrils. He survives on morphine and heroin. And Albert was rescued by Edouard after being buried alive with a dying and rotting horse and he copes with flashbacks by donning a mask of the horse and these two go into the remembrance business of their own and they decide then that they are going to pay Pradel back for what he did to them and they set up the great swindle. Uh, that's as much of the plot as I want to tell you because the, the sort of uh, exposition towards the end, the surprises are, are truly breathtaking, absolutely wonderful. It's, it's just beautifully written and beautifully translated by a bloke called Frank Wynne. Um, I was talking last week about a French thriller, which I really enjoyed, but I felt was at times awkwardly translated, that there was a literal translation which didn't match the flow of the English language. But what Frank Wynne with, has done with this is make it seem as if it were written in English. His portrait of a mind torn by the trauma of combat, for example, he was permanently on alert. Everything and anything made him suspicious. Serenity, he knew, was gone forever. And the way that Lemaitre manages to balance tragic and comic in this. There's an enormous amount of tragedy in the aftermath of something as catastrophic as the First World War, but yet he manages to find in these situations almost grand guignol-type comedy. It's a beautiful book, and I'm quite easy to understand why it won the Prix de Goncourt in, 19, in 2013. Sometimes, I mean, you, you go into exclusive books and you just... 
you know, how many books are there and how do you choose? And sometimes I choose on the basis of cover. And the next book, which I'm going to review, I chose simply because on the cover are beautiful little illustrations of wonderful birds. Okay, it's got a nice title, The Atomic Weight of Love, so let me let me take this. And it's a debut novel by Elizabeth J. Church. And, um, um, you know, she's not... She's not new um, in in the world, but she's new to the world of writing. Uh, She was a lawyer for 30 years, so her writing was around legal briefs, but now she's decided to write a novel. And it starts with Meridian at the age of 87, writing, I cannot escape the beating of my 87-year-old heart, the constancy of it, the weariness of it. I cannot say with scientific certainty how many times over these many decades it catapulted with love or capitulated in grief. And then you go back and you learn about love and how it hurt her and how it thrilled her. Uh, starts in World War II. She's an ornithologist-to-be at the University of Chicago. But while she's in, uh, at the university, she meets a physics professor who goes off to join the scientists at Los Alamos in New Mexico to work on that top-secret wartime project. And she becomes, instead of a bright ornithologist-to-be, she becomes an unhappy um, unhappy housewife. She becomes disenchanted with married life. Uh, she is put off her PhD, and that breaks. And then years later, she falls in love again, this time with a young Vietnam veteran. And she has to say, right, what are the values of the choices that I've made up to this point in my life? And how am I going to change my life? Uh, And so it is a portrait of a series of nuclear American families with the focus on the expectations placed on women doting housewives, mothers who content in their roles, rebellious mothers. It's very cleanly and precisely written with each sentence taking the plot and the characters a little bit further, exploring the limits of love and the spoils of love. And the ex- the exploration of Meridian's role in her relationships is very insightful and beautifully written. So it is, um, I think, an enthralling story, The Atomic Weight of Love by Elizabeth J. Church, published in paperback by Fourth Estate. And then the non-fiction book is, um, oh, there's, there are plenty of um, rapid-fire questions in this one. It's a book by Tim Marshall, who's a veteran foreign affairs correspondent, worked with the BBC, I think his most latterly he's been with Sky for a while. And it's a book about flags and their history called Worth Dying For, The Power and Politics of Flags. And there are lots of really interesting things about flags in it. Um, Saddam Hussein adding the Muslim phrase Allahu Akbar to the Iraqi flag in his handwriting. Um, the, the opposition parties in Mozambique have spent decades asking the government to remove the AK-47 from the flag. It's the only modern weapon on any world flag. There's a, an interesting rapid-fire question. But the rifle was so central to the lives of the politicians who gained Mozambique's independence that it it stays. Um, after the 1994 Football World Cup, McDonald's had to withdraw hundreds of thousands of takeaway bags printed with the flags of participating nations because Saudi Arabia complained that they didn't want their emblem crumbled up and thrown in a bin. And all these wonderful stories, but you know the stories of the design of the flags. Uh, Finland's blue cross symbolizes the country's lakes. The white background is snow. Austria's flag, red with a horizontal white stripe. That harks back to Duke Leopold V, who after... A busy day's fighting at the siege of Acre removed his belt to reveal a clean section of otherwise blood-spattered tunic. And that's the design of the Austrian flag. Brazil 
27 stars. I didn't know this. This is another fascinating general knowledge question. The 27 stars on Brazil's flag occupy the same position in the sky that they did on the day the country became a republic. So these really interesting bits and pieces, facts, trivia about flags, but also it's more than that. It's about flags and how they become symbols for the way that nations behave. So it's more than just a collection of interesting miscellany. It's also an interesting explanation of patriotism and nationalism and the way nationalisms conflict. And it's absolutely fascinating. Worth dying for, the power and politics of flags by Tim Marshall.